2: Hello and welcome to La Liga Lowdown's Matchday 27 recap. We are fast approaching the final stretch of the season and things are changing at the top and the bottom. I'm Matt Clark, your host, and I'm joined by Rory Barlow. Rory, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, I'm doing
3: pretty well. Like you say, fast approaching, it's, it's getting to that point where it feels like you're on a train and the match days and, and the various cup competitions just blur past you on the way and you have to Really look
2: to pick out the details. Yeah, the the matches and all the teams are just flying past you, like uh, when you're in the train window and flying past. <laughs> uh, you can't make out what's there, but you're kind of getting the gist of where you are. But uh, we'll try and bring some, some content and context to proceedings this evening. Uh, well, there's only one place to start, really, and that has to be in the big battle for the race for the top four. It was uh, Betis off the back of a euphoric night in midweek, qualifying for the Copa del Rey final. Could they repeat that feat against Atleti? Well, unfortunately for them, they could not. They uh, they lost 3-1 to Cholo Semyonis' side, and uh, that means that they've now lost back-to-back La Liga games, and they've gone from third to fifth now. It's the first time they're outside the top four since November. Rory, what was your take on this game? Did Betis do enough, or Atleti just clinical, or um, you know, h- how do you assess the race for the top four now? It's a
3: pretty hard game to analyse, in my mind, because I don't... I think certainly for the first sixty or so minutes, you could make a fairly good argument that Betis were the better side. I think certainly in that first half, Betis—they obviously went a goal down, which hampered them. But they—they they were would have it wouldn't have been unfair if they'd walked into halftime with a lead. So there was a chance that Jimenez cleared it off Paul Alcoku, and it literally how it didn't go in, I will never know. But yeah, Betis were were good. I think for me the. Big issue was their missing fullbacks. Their only fit fullback was Yusuf Savali, who had a very good game. But on the opposite side, uh, it was Guardado and uh, Ru- Ruival, and then Guardado Guardado had to go off for Cristian Deo, And yeah, all the goals came from that side. And yeah, it, you don't want to sort of um, señalar, You don't want to call out any of these players because they are playing out of position and they're being asked to do something that they're not used to. But that was the, the thing that really changed the game for, for both Betty and Atleti, and where they got all of their joy.
2: Yeah, they were missing Alex Moreno for sure. Um, and, and it's fair to say that Cholo Simeone, again, he was forced into changes with uh, a couple of players going down, Correa, uh, Vesalico going down injured. It was a very physical game, very, lots of stoppages, especially in that first half. Uh, very raucous atmosphere as well, as, you, as you'd expect in, in Seville. But uh, I thought the changes were very impressive, and João Felix obviously started and, and did well, scored a couple of goals, but Griezmann came on, Lamar came on, Carrasco too, they all connected up very well. Uh, they looked pretty smooth and slick in attack, didn't they?
3: Yeah, they did. Um, I thought João Felix... I, I kind of compared him to Cristiano Ronaldo on Twitter, like kind of the late stage of Ronaldo, where he sort of intervenes when necessary, he pops up in the box and scores the crucial goals, won the game for Atleti essentially and without doing too much he ends up being the match winner and that was João Felix today he was, he was threatening and behind with his runs and everything but it, it wasn't as if he was on the ball and dominating this game he wasn't playing 10 he he was playing as an out and out striker for me and I think it was interesting that Simeone for whatever reason Atleti and Simeone seem to have found a bit more trust in Gel Felix. Whether that's something Joel Felix is doing differently, because I think he's played in different roles during the last sort of few weeks where he's had a bit more game time, but something between Simeone and Joel Felix seems to be working better than it was. Griezmann helps a, a hell of a lot, I have to say. He, I think in terms of quality right now, he, he is a cut above what they have. Um, even though Correa has been fantastic and Joel Felix has the potential to be fantastic, man makes a big difference to that attack when he comes on. And uh, yeah, just a, a word for Marco Llorente in that stunning run where he just burns down the right-hand side and essentially makes Charles Felix's second goal as well.
2: Yeah, that was a phenomenal... Back to his form that he showed last season and in that, that run after lockdown in the previous season in that 2020 summer kind of uh, streak of matches. And Simeone, before the last couple of games, he's been saying... This is now a, a kind of mini season of sort of 13, 14 games to try and finish in the top four. And they've won the last three in La Liga. So it seems to be hitting uh, the message across to the players. So, um, yeah, Letty inside the top four now. Uh, we'll leave it there. We'll come back to the rest of the challenges for the top four. But now we're going to hit the bottom of the table and uh, yet another managerial casualty in La Liga. This time it was Granada sacking Robert Moreno on Saturday night after they slip to another defeat, this one at Mistaya. And uh, Rory, we're going to hand back over to you because you were speaking with our man in Granada, the very well-informed and well-connected Heath Chesters.
3: I'm delighted to be joined by Heath Chesters, who is our authority on Granada. An excellent authority is... Robert Moreno has obviously been sacked, um, and I, I gather that you're quite pleased about that, Heath.
4: Well, I think the the sense of relief is apparent amongst most of the fans, if you look at the, the social networks um, <laughs> like Twitter and what have you, everybody's pleased. Uh, people were going on about the Robert, trend, um, <laughs> the Robert train and jump on board the Robert train and what have you, and now people are posting GIF images of the train crashing and what have you. And, <laughs> so, I think the general consensus is most people are are glad to see the back of him. Um, But I think to be honest, he was was doomed from the start because he didn't win the fans over uh, Mm -hmm. and a a complete different personality compared to Diego Martinez, who worked hard to to keep the fans on his side all the time, and always reference the fans. Um, The the word in Spanish that they've been using from the get go about Robert Moreno is prepotente, which is basically full of himself. um, And for that reason, with the fans he was doing from the start, uh, and obviously the results on the pitch haven't helped. What seemed to be a, a lack of ideas tactically, uh, what systems to use, what players to to use, uh, and the results are a testament to that. So uh, hopefully it'll be um, the B team manager um, who steps up, um, Ruben Torresia. Uh, whether he'll stay to the end of the season or whether they've got another managerial appointment in mind, uh, nobody's quite sure yet. Um, but I suspect it'll be Torres until the end of the season.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw them. I saw Mundo Deportivo link Granada with Albert Salades, which I'm sure does not um, inspire too much fire in your heart either. We were talking before about kind of the the behind the scenes of Granada, and obviously. Granada, we think of them as a very well-run club because of the success they had under Diego Martinez. And you were kind of saying that ever since, and sort of even before Diego Martinez left, things have been kind of going a bit wrong at Granada. And that's part of the reason that they, they've ended up in this mess that they are now.
4: Yeah, I mean, obviously I used to work with the club, so I've maintained contact with quite a few people, and obviously both at the club and in the media locally. It's one of those things that as we've chatted before, that you, you don't always want to be parted to as a fan. Uh, sometimes true. it's better to be blessed, blissfully ignorant sometimes. But it, it all sort of goes back to about a year when Granada was still playing in Europe. Um, Antio, Antonio Monterubio was the director general. However, uh, he didn't get on with Sophia Yang, who is one of the board members and the right-hand person of the of the owner who's rent how yi, who has never who has never set foot in Granada once. Um Granada fans aren't convinced he actually exists. So it might just be a CGI image <laughs> or something like that, but there you go. Uh, anyway, they, they had an internal investigation uh with an external company that came in to investigate if he'd done anything wrong. Uh they didn't found anything. Uh the Chinese owners still decided they wanted to part company with with Monte Rubio uh, and They unfairly dismissed him as the settlement out of court would prove and which cost the club another million euros. From there, Patricia Rodriguez had already joined the club she previously worked with Elche and and more famously um, with Ibar as the first female president of the club. And basically, she was sort of the the Spaniard in position, if you like, Mm -hmm. on behalf of the Chinese owners, and she took over from him. Things led to At the end of last season, um, Diego Martinez, everybody expected him to renew his contract uh, through, obviously, people I know. um, We'd we'd heard that he'd even planned a celebratory dinner with the team captains um, to celebrate his contract renewal. So it was effectively a done deal. The day of his renewal, he turned up at the, the training complex sat down with Patricia Rodriguez and a couple of hours later came out and said he was leaving. Basically, from what I gather, he'd been promised that they could keep players like Yangle Herrera, uh, Kennedy, the club would do everything possible. They would build on the project that they'd established, even with the, the internal changes on the board. Um, and those promises weren't met. So from there, the club was looking for another manager. Um, they didn't want to keep Fran Sanchez, who'd done sterling work as a sporting director, and they brought in Pep Guardiola, vastly experienced, not necessarily as a sporting director, but with almost 20 years working in scouting and sports director at Barcelona. Um, meanwhile, Patricia Rodriguez had already agreed to sign Robert Moreno as manager, even before Pep Guardiola had arrived. And he inevitably as a sporting director arrived with his own managerial recommendations, but couldn't appoint any of them because the deal was done with Robert Moreno. As you can see from that point to the point we are now where Robert Moreno is finally being sacked, it was a disaster from the get go <laughs> uh, as the results on the pitch have proven and it just, it, it, it's just so frustrating being aware of these sort of things going on in the background. Um, when the platform that the club had established, things could have been so much better now. Um,
3: yeah, no, it's, it's quite incredible listening to the, to the insight you've given us there. It's really fascinating to get that view from, from someone so close to the club and from, yeah, as, as we were saying, a club that we really thought were on the up and had the opportunity to really sort of establish themselves in the first division. Now they find themselves just a point above Cadiz in, in La Liga after Cadiz won. How, do they have enough to sort of stay up this season? I mean, they—they, they, I look at their squad and I think, I don't think they're too good to go down, but I do think they have more quality than the three teams below them. What's your kind of thoughts on that?
4: I think there's definitely enough strength and depth in the squad, and especially after reinforcing in the transfer window. I mean, obviously they thought that Darwin matches was going to go to Charlotte. Mm. Um, but a little bit of background to that. He, he, Apparently punched somebody in a nightclub in Granada, and there was legal proceedings going on with that, which he settled out of court. Essentially, but that didn't help him with his visa application to the United States. So that's why that deal collapsed. He's still there, um, so they've got even more depth than they probably (laughs) expected (laughs) to have. Um, But I think there's certainly the strength and depth there. There's the quality of the players there. If Torosier can get the same sort of commitment and, and atmosphere going again um, that Diego Martinez had, I don't think there'd be any problem in staying up. Torosier is a similar sort of personality to, to Diego Martinez. Uh, and as well as that, he, always, he, he also has roots in the club because he used to play for Granada when Granada were in the lower leagues. Fingers crossed, um it should clip back into place and i certainly think the players will be a lot happier even though like no players doing any post-match interviews nobody criticizes the manager we're all with the manager uh, we're behind him 100 to the death and all the other sort of cliches that they use um whereas behind the scenes you know that everything's not uh not rosy there's probably a lot of relief amongst the squad as well because on the pitch you could see uh, looking at the games they just did a lot. at a lot of the time, like headless chickens on the pitch, not sure of what instructions are supposed to follow.
3: Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. I mean, it's funny you should say that because I watched the post-match interview with uh, Germán Sánchez after the match and he said we are 100% behind the manager who I think is doing a good job, which is, is quite it's, common. It's the
4: same old, same old at any club. Uh, I'd love just once to see a player come out and say... This
3: manager's awful. <laughs> <You know. laughs> Thankfully, at least we have some sort of uh, reason for optimism that Torresia, as you say, can reinstall that Diego Martinez kind of atmosphere, as you were saying, and keep Granada up. But I will—I'll pass it back to Matt now. But really, thank you for that insight, Keith, because no that problem. was absolutely fascinating, and I'm sure the listeners will will thank you for that as well.
2: Brilliant stuff, as ever, from Heath. Uh, Continuing with the bottom then, it was uh, quite an interesting weekend of results because as we we were saying, with that defeat for Granada, it really does mean they're looking over their shoulders and they're not just looking over their shoulders but actually right in the hot stuff now because they're only one point clear of the drop zone and that is because Cadiz finally won a game at home, 302 (laughs) days later. They returned uh, to win for the first time in the Nuevo Mirandia. Uh, they played in a purple kit. They've got Sergio Gonzalez in charge and Ruben Alcaraz scoring. It's uh, the real <laughs> viable edification of Cadiz, isn't it, Rory?
3: It is a little bit, yeah. They they were pretty good. Um, I have to say they were solid. They they worked off the momentum of the crowd and they managed to just about stem the flow of Garcias coming down the left-hand side for Rayo, who, who were their sort of principal threat. But yeah, I think Cadiz... They, they're they playing with a lot more freedom than they used to and they're playing with a lot more ambition than they used to. I will say this game was decided by one player and not in a good way, it was Lucas Sedan. Both of those goals should have been prevented by, by Zinedine Sedan's son and I don't know quite what um, Dmitrievsky is doing in training or, or in general but Irayola has to start in the next game because you just simply cannot lose the ball twice in the air and cost your team two goals. I I know the second one wasn't quite as bad when, uh, or the first one, sorry, when Alcaraz comes around the back post, heads it. But even then, the hand that Zidane gets to it is very weak. And yeah, um, the less said about him, the better this weekend, to be honest.
2: Yeah, so an important win for Cardiff. Rayo's poor form continues. Along with Granada, they're the only other La Liga side yet to win in 2022. So concerning for them, they're, they're beginning to look over their shoulders too. And in fact, with Espanyol beating Hitafe 2-0, which we'll come on to in a second, that now means that Espanyol are now above Rayo and uh, of the promoted sides that currently is top of the pops in, in that regard. So, yeah, Espanyol, uh, 2-0 win with only one shot on target. So, you know, that's kind of uh, always helps when you're that clinical. Um any any takeaways from this game, Rory? I mean, Hatafe's away form is, is atrocious, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it was it was a strange game, actually, because Espanyol, I think they started off reasonably well. They started off trying to take the game slowly, trying to grow into the game and, and trying to manage themselves and, and not concede a goal before and, and sort of get themselves into a bad situation. They went ahead, and then they scored the second goal 10 minutes later, Sergi Darder, with a big part to play in the second one. But... You were kind of waiting for the reaction for from Hatafi, and you were waiting for them to, and they kind of got stuck in, but they never really put Espanol under much pressure, and it was, yeah, this weird game where you were just waiting for, for the kind of battle to commence and for Kike Sanchez Flores's side to really go for this, but it just never really happened. And Espanol, I think they were decent; they did their job, they carried out their tasks as they should have done. I think Vicente Moreno will be relatively happy, but on the whole they'll be pretty pleased that they managed to walk away with a win without doing too much, to be honest.
2: Yeah, certainly something they could definitely have used. Um, and yeah, Hatafe, their home form is a lot better, obviously, under Kike. They've, they've been transformed since his arrival, so, of course, we don't want to be too harsh on them, but they're only three points clear of the drop themselves, so their job is not done yet, by any means. And some big games ahead for them, too. But just to finish off part one, we're going to go to what, perhaps, was the game of the weekend, and it probably wasn't the one that anyone would have predicted. It came out Balaidos. Celta 4, Mallorca 3. An incredible game. Iago um, Aspas, phenomenal once again. But uh, again, Mallorca, their form is, is pretty poor too. Um, Celta, they've missed some chances to get themselves in the European fight, so it's probably beyond them now. But what an entertaining game. A lot of people would have been watching the Manchester Derby, but you couldn't take your eyes off this one, could you?
3: <laughs> yeah, it was pretty entertaining. I have to say, the drama right till the end, just when. You sort of think it's going to be settled. Mallorca got back into it with a late Salva Sevilla penalty. And then Celta go down the other end and get a penalty of their of room with a man less. Um, it was terrific entertainment. And uh, shout out for Denis Suarez as well, who took the game by the scruff of the neck literally in those last minutes. It was him that uh, caused the penalty. And it was a driving run through the middle. One-two drives into the box. And then that is where the, the sort of penalty incident comes from. And uh, yeah, credit to Celta again this is just one of those frustrating performances where you can see all the good things that sell to do and all the bad things that sell to do and until they manage to sort out the bad things to a, a greater degree they they aren't going to be able to put themselves into that European race and Mallorca oh my god how many points do they want to throw away Luis García Plaza it's a miracle he still has
2: hair left well, he's certainly shown his frustration. He was obviously missing from the touchline again, having been sent off the other week. And, uh, yeah, I can't have many complaints to of the officials on this one. But, um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're a strange <laughs> team, Mallorca, because they started off pretty well and they looked looked fairly exciting, fairly attacking. Obviously, they've had a big miss with Ruiz de Gallaretta with that uh, horrible horrible injury. Um, he's a big loss for them. But, um yeah, again, they're one that need, they're a team that needs to watch out because um, teams below them are all scrapping to pick up points. Uh, you know, Alaves, uh, Cadiz, we've mentioned, Levante play on Monday night. They're in a little bit of form. So that's really starting to close up at the bottom. And, and if you're in a, a bad run of form, there's always one team or maybe even two or three that start to slide. And before you know it, they're right deep in trouble. So, yeah, definitely a concern for Mallorca. But, uh, yeah, shout out to Celta. And <laughs> you mentioned uh, Chacho Goudet. <laughs> I'd like to get the lottery numbers off him because before the game he was uh, quoted as saying, I prefer to win 4-3 than win 1-0. I'd like to play attacking. Well, you got your wish there, Chacho. Um, certainly. <laughs> I think he uh, looked into his crystal ball a little bit too well there. But, um, yeah, Yago Aspas, how clutch. Right at right the death. 96th minute penalty. The, uh, the latest um, penalty to win a game in La Liga history, that as well. So, yeah, if it, I think Aspas is a fitting owner of that particular record, personally, so... We'll have to leave it there for part one, but stay with us because we're gonna be talking title and plenty more besides after the break. Stay with us.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank.
2: Welcome back to La Liga Lowdown. It's our Matchday 27 recap, as we look at the title race now. Friday night, Sevilla had a massive opportunity to put the pressure on Real Madrid ahead of their tough fixture against Real Sociedad, but they could not take it. They were held to a nil-nil draw at Mendy-Zorota. Um, fair play to Alaves, they, they were dogged and dug in very well and created some chances themselves. But Sevilla will be very frustrated with that because it, it was a golden opportunity. That's now four draws in the last seven in La Liga, and even if they just won a couple of those games, the title race would be a lot closer than it currently is. So, could Real Madrid take advantage of that missed opportunity from Sevilla? Well, yes they could, and to hear all about it, it's a pod debut for our very own Jorge López-Torresilla. He was with Rory, talking about that game at the Bernabeu, and a little nod ahead to the PSG clash coming up this week. Pretty big game, that one too.
3: Toca para Luca
4: Modri.
5: Pisa Luka Modri. Le va a pegar. Chuta a Modri. ¡Gol! ¡Y gol, 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 gol,
4: gol, gol! ¿Vale? Y, ¿Y va bueno, a, sí. este, a ver si lo va a la dar.
5: Luca Modri! No se la puede la verdad, otra
3: defender otra en tu área
4: porque te acaban matando. ¡Qué golazo! Sí, ¡Qué golazo! ¡Qué golazo de Modri! golazo sí, metido! Con Ese la sí pierna izquierda al palo derecho de Remiro. Uf. ¡Marca! ¡Bueno, qué digo, mal!
3: I'm delighted to welcome Jorge López-Torrecia, who is a member of the La Liga Lowdown squad and our resident stat man. You will not find a
5: better man
3: to make your graphics and find your stats than Jorge.
5: Thank you very much, Ruri. I I believe I have the most difficult name to pronounce, and you did a great job, so thank you for having me here.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's a nice, uh, he's buttered up the host, so I'm now pretty happy. But um, what one, well, Real Madrid <laughs> managed to, to butter up the Bernabeu crowd last night. And I have to say, it was a, it was a pretty impressive yes. performance. Um, Real Madrid, they beat Real Sociedad 4-1. They came from a goal behind. Give me kind of your impressions on the, on the Madrid performance last night.
5: Well, it was a great match. Even Ancelotti said afterwards that it, was, in his opinion, the best game of the season. I don't think so. I think that there have been better games like Valencia, for example, or or Alaves even a couple of weeks ago. And I believe that the Real Madrid squad is finding, once again, the, the physical side of it that has been lacking in this past couple of months. Maybe, yeah, f- from the Supercopa to to now, there have been like a, a physical low point, and they are returning to their to their best uh, shape.
3: Interesting, yeah. It's not a point I've heard widely made about Real Madrid, but it's certainly...
5: Yes. No, no, uh, I was just going to say that last week in, in Vallecas, they managed to score in the last 10 minutes of the game because I believe they have uh, uh, reached back their physical peak. Mm-hmm. And last night, they could pressure really high up the pitch, Real Sociedad they made players like Merino felt uncomfortable with the ball, which is something quite difficult to do. And I believe that, that this improvement in the physical side of it is what is making the difference nowadays. Interesting. And obviously
3: this moves Real Madrid eight points clear of Sevilla in the title race after they drew against Alaves. Ancelotti said that Real Madrid fans are confident of, of winning the league now. Do you kind of share that same confidence? I mean for me I I find it hard to see Sevilla overturning this.
5: Well, I I don't feel as confident as Ancelotti with this. Cuz this morning I was reading about what happened in the 2003-2004 season that ended up with Valencia winning the title. And it was the same match day with Real Madrid as a, as the as the leader, the same difference with the second and then it came the Monaco eliminatory round in the UEFA Champions League, which got Real Madrid eliminated. The Copa del Rey final lost against Zaragoza. And then the decline of the team. So there's plenty to, to play. There are a lot of matches. There are a lot of points. So I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be as confident as, as Ancelotti is, to be honest. Um, it's interesting that you think
3: that there's still kind of a title race. I mean moving on now to to Real Madrid's Champions League tie, they're one nil down on aggregate against PSG, which is it's definitely a, a task to overturn it. And I think more Real Madrid's performance more than anything else was the most worrying for them. Do you think they have enough to overturn the deficit? I mean, they're without Casemiro, they're without Ferlal Mendy. Can Real Madrid do it against a PSG side that really didn't concede to any chances in the first leg?
5: No. But the thing is, you've lost uh, with a, with a one-goal difference in Paris against one of the best teams in Europe, where even Manchester City, which in my opinion is the best team right now in Europe, lost by a one-goal deficit too. So, with the Bernabeu Roaring with the feeling of this big European night that the madridistas love and all that stuff i don't think there will be such a difference in the or it won't be such a challenge to overcome the mm. the deficit against psg i feel really confident <laughs> about it to be honest so i i don't see it as a as a that big of a challenge to win psg because we have seen madrid defeat Atletico, defeat Barcelona, defeat Inter de Milan. So the only thing you've got to do is beat PSG by one goal mm-hmm. more. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean it's they
3: definitely have the history on their side and I'm sure you've uh, witnessed many a good comeback yourself. Yes. I saw, well, Camavinga scored a pretty incredible goal from long range and with yes. Casamiro out, I know Valverde missed the game against Real Sociedad. Do you think Valverde is likely to start in his stead. do you think Camavinga may get shot or will Ancelotti go with both of them and go for more control
5: I believe Ancelotti would, will play both of them because if Cross is not 100% fit I believe he shouldn't mm-hmm. risk of injuring himself even more and like you've, you're gonna need pace and rhythm and, and speed in midfield like you're not gonna overplay if, if that's the correct word, Berratti or Danilo. You're not gonna take the ball away from Messi. So the only thing you can do is, if Cross is not is not fit and Casemiro can't play, the only thing you can do is is try to beat them on the physical side. And I believe that Camavinga and Valverde are the two biggest assets that Madrid has in his, in in their squad.
3: Interesting. Very good. And just a, a final one prediction for the game on wednesday
5: Oof, that's tough <laughs> i well <laughs> i'm gonna go with my brain and not with the heart so i believe that real madrid is gonna win by one nil so there will be extra time and then the bernabeu will will make real madrid go through
2: Fantastic stuff there, Jorge, on debut for us on the podcast. Uh, A big win for Real Madrid, eight points clear now, as we've said, and uh, PSG awaits. Um, It's gonna be a fantastic night at the Bernabeu on Wednesday. Make sure you're across our coverage of that match. Um, Back to the top four race now then, and uh, Rory, you were pretty delighted with another Barca win. Didn't quite score four goals this week, but an important three points nonetheless.
3: Not that they didn't have the chances to, I mean, Ferran Torres is the most confusing player in the world at the minute because he's really, really good at the things he's meant to be doing. His movement is great. He he helps the team out a lot with with both sort of his understanding of the game and his understanding of space and the, the way he moves. But you cannot escape the fact that he's missing some really key chances. And sooner or later, they've been lucky enough that it hasn't sort of bitten them back yet. But, I mean... It will come back to bite them if he continues to miss them. I thought Barcelona were decent if not great. This is one of those games where the result allows you to analyse this from a positive point of view whereas if they dropped points then you look at all the flaws in it and Elche attacked well. I thought Elche caused problems whenever they did come at Barcelona although I will say that Tercegan didn't have too much to do. There was one very good save from Peramilla um, but apart from that Barcelona more or less held up and the fact that they came from behind and, and want a match away from home is is again sort of creating these habits and being able to overcome adversity that's been Barcelona's biggest trouble in recent years and so anything that sort of gets you closer to making a habit out of managing to do that is is a big thing for Barcelona.
2: Nice call from Memphis uh, to finish that penalty again one player that's been out for a while and you you wondered if his position would perhaps uh He'd be one of the losers after these kind of signings, Ferran, Aubameyang, Adama. But um he scored a couple of goals, hasn't he, lately, and uh, he could still be a very important player for Barcelona this season.
3: i will be interested to see his role going forward because they're in a nice period now where lots of people have come into the side and they are either lacking fitness or coming back from injury. And so Xavi has a nice excuse to to kind of rotate them all around and play different people as as he did today with Ferran Torres. And yeah, once Memphis is kinda of back to full fitness, if he's not starting and if he's on the bench we'll see kinda of how happy he is then. Um but yeah, his impact from the bench so far has been really good and he's he's showing that kind of arrogance and that confidence to to take responsibility as he did with the penalty that he did at the start of the season and that was the kind of thing that I think myself and a lot of people thought that he could bring to Barcelona and and his sort of greatest attribute is almost yeah, his mentality as opposed to his actual technical
2: ability or or what he does in terms of his style. Mm, 10 goals in a Liga for Memphis. Uh, pretty impressive return from, I think, 17 matches. Um, Yeah, well, moving on, another challenger in the top four race. Uh, Of course, we've spoken, or Jorge has spoken about Real Madrid's win over El Solquerad, so they missed a chance there. Of course, very tough fixture. But uh, Villarreal, they went to El Sadar and uh, they lost 2-0. So again, tough place to go. But is it this season? Because Osuna haven't been too good at home. Um, Villarreal will be quite disappointed I think with this result. Jimmy Avila once again scoring the winner, as he did in the reverse fixture at La Ceramica. Um, yeah, Villarreal feels like a miss, missed opportunity this one.
3: It really does. You must be royally peed off if you're a Villarreal fan because the the form that they were in, they were sort of making an argument for themselves being the forum team of 2022, but this loss is just so damaging for them because they they could have gone, I think, level on points with Atleti and Barca if they'd won this match on, on at Saturday lunchtime. And instead, they finish at six points behind them, both in the Champions League race. And I'm not going to say it's going to be decisive, but certainly it could be... It, it makes it a much harder task for them to overcome. Also, sooner like you say, home form, they'd only had two wins at home before this. They were the second worst team in the league, I think, at home before this match, which is, yeah, it's not great going. But for them, I think they showed shades of what they, they've been looking for under Arasate, and I think what Arasate seeks out in terms of uh, a team that manages to close the lines very well, that manages to close ranks very well, and counters at pace, kind of releases that pressure into fast breaks. And a uh, nice ball from Ruben Garcia hung up into the box, and smallest man in the box rises highest to head it in.
2: Yeah, he almost did Jeremy Pino against Villarreal, didn't he, after, after Jeremy last week against Cabrera. Yeah, so of course, after back-to-back hat-tricks, um, uh, obviously in the previous two rounds, Villarreal couldn't score, and uh, as some of our Villarreal USA friends commented, they could have been there for another hour or two, and they still wouldn't have found the net. So, a bad day at the office for Villarreal, but they will look to uh, future matches to try and get back on track. So that wraps up all the games. Uh, it must be time for MVP then, Rory. Um, who would you like to start with?
3: I'm going to start off with Iago Aspas, of course. Two goals and an assist for Celta. He is Celta Vigo, RC Celta Vigo. He is that almost entire sort of attack. Without him, they are on an entirely different side. I'd love to know the percentage of sort of big moments or, or sort of dramatic wins that Aspas has been responsible for, for Celta in recent years. Um, I think we need a term for it, I think it should be the Aspaso, is is when you get done by Iago Aspas in the closing minutes. I feel like it's happened to Barcelona a lot, it's happened to many teams across La Liga, and uh, yeah, I'm sure we've waxed lyrical about him in the past, um, both you, myself, Sam, anyone else who's, who's cared to come on the pod, because yeah, he's just fantastic.
2: Yeah, a phenomenal player, still going strong, um, fundamental to his team check out our website. Um, Louis Scattergood has done a piece on him this week so very topically he got a nice brace for us to uh, be able to promote that article so go and check that one out. It's well worth your time. Um, I'm gonna go with Ruben al We've mentioned the uh, kind of rail by the lead theme that's running through Cadiz um, and yeah perhaps it did take them to be playing in purple to finally get that win but uh, Ruben al has been very good since his arrival and he's been a a strong factor in general in their upturn in fortunes and in this game alone obviously he got the opening goal he uh he did very well in the game in general dominated that midfield he uh, he won the most duels in the match nine uh, seven recoveries too he was just a kind of all-round midfield presence everything you want from a central midfielder in a relegation battle match um, and if he can continue to produce performances like that then Cardiff have every chance of um of staying up um, of course it won't be easy because uh, all the teams around them, of course, are all fighting as well. But, uh, yeah, Cadiz, a very solid 2-0 win there, and Alcaraz was very much at the heart of it. So he definitely deserves a spot this week, I would say. Rory, who are you going to go with? I have a feeling, I know, but uh, tell us anyway. Uh,
3: it's going to be Joao Felix. I made the Cristiano comparison earlier in the pod, and be- that's because he was decisive. And I think... Atleti have missed Luis Suarez a lot this season in terms of the Luis Suarez that they had last season and what he was able to do. And João Felix kind of took over that role this evening and and was able to be the clinical person on the end of those moves, on the end of the counter-attacks as well. Atleti, he has the pace to kind of stick with a Llorente or Correa running in behind. And that made the difference for Atleti, his kind of integration to the side, because I don't think he's ever been fully integrated into this atleti team he's never sort of found a comfortable position i don't know if this is it but certainly if he can have performances like this where he doesn't even get out of sort of second or third gear but decides the match then that is absolutely invaluable for atleti because that is to a more or lesser extent what they've been lacking
2: yeah he's um he's a very good player perhaps too good for arsenal who knows but uh, we'll leave that to uh, <laughs> we'll leave that to squawker to decide um <laughs> yeah, if, if you if you didn't say that, listeners, that was um, our latest uh, contribution for Squirrel. Uh, whether Jao Felix is too good for Arsenal, um, had a little kind of uh, piece on that and generated a lot of uh, interest from Arsenal fans. Let's say so. Be the judge of that yourself. Mark Lawrence's
3: mentions <laughs> were destroyed by Arsenal fans, is the translation of that.
2: Yes, I had I a, I had a very busy um, Friday night, Saturday morning, full of full of notifications, uh, many of which. It's a good read. Oh, thank you. Um,
3: But yeah. I mean, the piece and also the notifications. (laughs) More of the notifications, to be honest, are pretty comical.
2: Uh, Well, yeah, Sam Leverage certainly thinks he's too good for Arsenal. I was hopefully a little bit more balanced. But um, as I say, listener, you can be the judge of that. Have a read on Squawker, our partner's there. So do go and enjoy. Um, Much to my suffering, of course. But hey, it's all for a a good cause. Um, Back to MVP. My... Second and final pick is another central midfielder, and that is Carlos Soler. Uh, Valencia were very good against Granada. We've heard from Heath all about Granada's woes, but Valencia were pretty good in this game. They they've had another good week, um, three wins in a row, uh, two in a Liga, and of course that copper qualification for the final. Uh, board the last football champagne, as <laughs> as it's been dubbed. CSL football champagne. Very very physical side, of course, but Carlos Soler. He adds the quality uh, to the, the machine there. And we, we speak, obviously, Dani Parejo was a huge loss for Valencia, but Dani Parejo, uh, Carlos Soler is showing that his set-piece delivery is every bit as good as Parejo right now. Um, two assists and a goal on uh, Saturday in that game. Perfect crosses, uh, perfect free-kick deliveries for Guedes and then Maxi Gomez. And then the penalty was, again, ice cool. He's a, he's a pretty good penalty perfectionist um, as well so yeah Carlos Soler the heartbeat of that team along with Jose Gaya, and uh, he'll be one that Valencia will be desperate to keep hold of in the summer um, again he, he's a local boy he's come through the academy all the way um, and, and the fans adore him so how about moments of the week then Rory I'm, I'm going to let you come in first here um, probably a similar strand to what we've been talking about already
3: yeah I'm going to have to go with the though. Even, even though it was a penalty um, kind of Late night, Balaidos. the rain was coming down. Aspas, I mean, you have a penalty and you're kind of mentally prepared for the goal going in. It's not a shock or a surprise. The winner, you're kind of prepared for it to happen. But even then, Aspas manages to make it dramatic. His wild celebrations, running to the corner. Celta, 4-3 win. Um, yeah,
2: it doesn't get better than that, does it? Not really, no. Um, I will <laughs> offer up my own moment. Um, but, uh, and it is Cadiz again, Um It's been tweeted by by a few people, you and McTier, of course, included. Uh, Cadiz, not only was this their first home win in 302 days, but it was their first home win in front of their own fans in La Liga uh, for 16 years. 2006, of course, was the last time they tasted a home win in front of their own fans. But yeah, today there was everything. It was the hope and the belief that yes, they can stay up. It was the emotion of the crowd finally seeing this victory. Um, So yeah, that was some really emotional scenes there at at Nuevo Merendía. I'm going to go for that, but uh, yeah, it's going to be hard to top Aspas, but uh, we'll have to leave it there for this week. Uh, things getting wider at the top, but uh, tightening up at the bottom. So wherever you look, there's always intrigue and interest. Um, thank you very much, Rory, for being here today. Um, I've always loved having you on, of course. Stay with us for the coverage of the European football this midweek. We've got, of course, that massive gain in Madrid as Royale looked to overturn the deficit against Paris Saint-Germain. And then, of course, on Thursday, we've got the Europa League as uh, Barca, Sevilla and Betis try to reach that final in Seville. Uh, a couple more hurdles to cross first, though, of course. So uh, we'll be across that on Thursday. Check out our website for the latest pieces, as we've said. Um, and, yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed this pod. Come back again next week. Uh, we'll be here. Cheerio. Aspar,
4: gol de Aspar, Del principe de las batea. Y marca el Príncipe de las Bateas. ¡Siete goles embalaídos!
5: ¡God save the Prince! ¡Dios salve al Príncipe de las Bateas! ¡Doblete del Príncipe!